Now when Paul and his party sailed from, uh, set sail from Paphos, uh, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So we start off, and right away, things have changed. So Paul was sent out by the brethren in Antioch. They prayed over him, and they said, the Holy Spirit said, send out Barnabas and Paul to go to the cities out there. And um, they all prayed, laid hands on him, and sent him out. It was Barnabas and Paul up until this point. Barnabas and Paul this, Barnabas and Paul that. But now we see right here in this verse that the whole tempo has changed. Now, when Paul and his party, now Paul is the leader of the group that's going out. And so all we see is his party, and we know that it includes Barnabas and John Mark that went with them. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, I believe, or nephew. Um, and so as they go out, they have other people with them that are probably traveling with them. Maybe not the whole trip, but they're traveling to a certain point and they'll go places with them to help them in this ministry. But mainly we're going to hear... You have to realize that as they're writing, Luke is writing the book of Acts. This is a very long book. They didn't have, an, an, they, they couldn't write War and Peace back then, okay? It would have been like 1,500 scrolls. And they only had enough room, and the longest scrolls, I think they were 30-something feet, that's how much room they had to write. So they knew that they had to get everything in. And so sometimes a lot of the details of what was going on was left out. And only the important parts of what was taking place was put into uh, these documents, these scrolls. So um, as we see this going on. There's something important happening here because Paul is with his party. They went from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Well, we don't hear what actually happened um, until, I think, chapter 15 when we find out that John kind of abandoned them and then went back home. Uh, he was kind of young. He was in his early 20s. And so maybe he didn't like what they were experiencing. And uh, he wanted to uh, go back home. But we see now Paul is the leader of this party as they travel. But when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. No, this is not the same Antioch that they had left originally. There were 17 cities named Antioch back then. So uh, they always, um, you know, uh, 
declared which one it was. This one was the Antioch that was in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on Sabbath day and sat down. And so whenever you travel as a Jew, you would look for the synagogues that were there because that was the meeting place. It's kind of like when I travel, I look for Calvary chapels wherever I go so I can connect with people that I know I'm like-minded with. It doesn't mean I don't think anyone else is qualified to go into their, for me to go into their church. If there's no Calvary chapel, I'll find another church to go into. But when I travel, generally there is a Calvary chapel somewhere close and I'll go and I'll you know, sometimes I don't even tell them who I am. I just go, I sit, I, you know, I worship with them and then I leave, you know, and, uh, and I just get fed. So it's easier to do that because once you tell them, then they want to invite you to do things and stuff like that. And, and sometimes the things they want to do, I just don't want to do. So, um, you know, you, you want to go to their restaurants and stuff like that. No, I don't want to do that. I just want to have my vacation, but I want to worship the Lord too with brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. And I'm sure that for Paul it was very much the same way. He knew what he would get when he went to a synagogue. Now the second part of this is we remember Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, They didn't strip that title really from him, but he probably still had his Pharisee clothes, you know, and He probably, when he went in on Sunday, wore his attire that would indicate that he was someone of high regard. Because when he went in there, wherever he would go, they would always ask, do you have something to share? Well, why would they do that? And it's always Paul. Well, because there was something that they knew about Paul that he was a Pharisee. He was a leader. He was someone that could bring some good information to them uh, from Jerusalem, back from where the um, where the home base was, the temple, where those leaders uh, were leading. And so they would ask. So um, they um, they came to Antioch and went into the synagogue and after the reading of the law and the prophets, this is a part of what they do. They would read um, a scripture from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They would read a scripture and then they would read from the prophets. So after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And so now they see that it is Saul, you know, this Pharisee. Let's go to him and ask him, is there anything that you can bring, any word of encouragement, exhortation that you can bring to us uh, here at this time? And so he's allowed to talk. Then Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand, this is the Italian part of him, you know, he's, you know, he's motioning, you know, I I know you see it. Um, Motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So he's addressing two different groups of people. 
men of Israel, those that were Jews, that were Jews by birth, uh, that were the primary attention there in the synagogue, but also those who fear God. Well, those who fear God are people that are there that are not Jews, but Gentile proselytes, those have, who have converted, or even Gentiles, but they wouldn't be in the actual audience. They'd be in the court of the Gentiles, but they may be listening in on what's going on there. And so he's addressing whoever it is that love and fear God. Then he said, listen. So as he starts this out, he wants their attention and he's telling them, listen to what I have to say. This is important. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. So, the land of Israel, the children of Abraham, they were taken captive and they were in Egypt and God lifted them out of Egypt. It was a very simple statement, but it covered a long period of time. It, it, it wasn't uh, the whole story of everything that took uh, place there. It was just God lifted them out of Egypt. And now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations, wow, wow this is going fast. He's telling this whole story and it's really going fast. He went from, you know, being in Egypt, right, being children of Abraham, to being in Egypt. Now they're out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness 40 years, and now they're going into Canaan. He said, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed the land to them by allotment. That was really quick, the whole abbreviation of the history of Israel. And so we know the whole story. We know the details of what took place there. Uh, hopefully we know. There was a lot of information. These, the children of Israel, were in Egypt for a reason. Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They weren't obedient to the laws that God gave them. And they didn't do them. They weren't keeping the Sabbath. And they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. That's very similar to what happens to the church today. We're seeing the very same thing happen in the church. Where the church has lost its way. The church has decided that it's a convenience occasionally. You know, now I'm not saying people have to be in church every Sunday or else you're in sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that some people 
aren't concerned about going to church on a regular basis. They're, it's not part of their life. They're not connected. I know many of you who aren't here watch online. You, you get caught up and you watch the video from last week or, uh, you know, from a week before. Whatever it is, you stay connected through the vid. That's why we do it, by the way. Uh, we don't do it trying to build our external audience, although it's good that the word of God goes out to whoever is out there listening. But the, the important part is that we can stay connected to each other by watching the videos, by listening, and by reading ourselves. You know, when you know what I'm going to be teaching next week, does anyone know? Uh, well, wherever I end today, <laughs> you'll know what I'm teaching next week. It's going to pick up right from there, you know? So, uh, you know, you can always read ahead, too. And, and I encourage that in doing that. But here we read these abbreviated versions and we're looking at what's taking place there. Israel lost their way a lot. They, you know, decided that their religion was more important than their God. And they were going through the motions. They were going through traditions in my devotional time, I'm spending time through the book of Second Kings. And as I'm going through reading all of what Hezekiah did and, and, the, and the idols that he tore down and, and the statues that he got rid of and the high places that he destroyed, it reminded me of religion today of the the different things in religion that we hold in high regard. Higher regard than God himself. Oh, God's too busy for me. I'm going to pray to this person or that person. I am going to, you know, um, you know do some prayer chanting and stuff. And, and that's... A, and it's religious activity rather than worship of God. And it's dangerous for us to get into any activity that isn't directly related to God. And so when we pray, our prayers don't have to go through anyone else. There is only one intercessor for prayer, the man Jesus Christ. And our prayers go through him to God and they're stored in Revelation. It says they're in a bowl. You know, I don't know how much room each prayer takes. I know some people, they, they must have their own bowl <laughs> because they pray a lot, you know. And, but here are the and And it, it's a sweet smell to God, these prayers that are going up. It, it's sweet to him. And so... That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. It's not a relationship of following rules and, and you know, walking in a certain way. Now, should our life reflect um, a Christian walk? Absolutely. We should bear fruit in our walk so that 
we can demonstrate where our heart is. Our heart is exposed by the fruit we bear. So what is in our heart will come out in the way we live. And that sometimes is ugly, especially if I'm driving on the freeway, you know. And I know you guys have your own little things, you know. Some of you, it may be the way your spouse does something. And it, you know, it isn't the way you would do it. And so there's always that little bit of friction. You don't say anything. You just let them do it. But it's there inside of you. And you let it fester. You know, and that's, that's trouble for us. Do you know what the funny thing is? If you don't say anything to them, um, the only person it bothers is you. And if you do say something to them, it still bothers you. And then they're going to know that it bothers you. So just let go of it. Don't even bother hanging on to it. Best way to get rid of the problem is not to even allow there to be a problem. So we're back in, uh, in Acts um, chapter 13, verse 20, where it says, after that, so after all of this event, they got into the land of Israel. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So he gave them judges to rule over them. Who was in charge of them before the judges? God. God was in charge of them, right? Jesus wasn't there yet. He was, but not there. God was their king, right? They were a theocracy. There was um, a time where I was working with some men in a, in a little town called Wilsey, Kansas. And the town had gone belly up and uh, a bunch of men went and bought the downtown of this little town. Uh, the water table was poisoned, so the people all fled. And, uh, and so they fixed it, the, the state fixed the water. Everything was clean. Everything was, but there was no one there. So there was a lot of farms and stuff like that around the area, but they had to recoup from all of that. And so a bunch of people went in and bought, they bought the high school for a dollar on PayPal. Uh, and, and so all of the, they bought houses and buildings and storefronts and all of this and just for pennies on the dollar. And they were going to um, put a college, a Bible college there, and also an outreach to troubled teens and stuff. And they were going to bring them in during the summer and, you know, train them and teach them and mentor them in the ways of the Lord. And so, great project. So, um, I was brought in to look at the IT for one of the buildings there that actually was a, um, a telecommunications center. The basement had a telecom center set up in the middle of this town, in the middle of nowhere. And why would you set up a telecom center? Well, because about 20 yards 
west of the building, there were railroad tracks that went through there. And the internet was originally built along every railroad track in the country. And so they had some of the highest speed internet right there running past this little town, this little building, and, uh, and the tracks were gone. The train tracks were gone. They got rid of the line, but the, the fiber was still there. And so they tapped in and brought it into this building, and they had some of the fastest internet in the whole state right there in that little building. And so I was going in there to see what they needed to do to fix it up. And, and we went there, and, um, and there was a, a thick layer of mold. The roof had caved in, and uh, there was all kinds of damage that needed to be done, uh, fixed. And I met with these guys. So we're all sitting at this table. There were six of us there. A lawyer from New York, a pastor here from Arizona, and, and some of the local people there. And we're sitting in there deciding what we're going to do. And one guy said, well, um, you know, who gets to make the decisions? Who gets to make the final decision? You know, I, I mean, here we have this board and everything. What if we're not in agreement? What, you know, what happens? Who gets to make that? And uh, so people were talking about it. I said, well... God. I said, this is a theocracy. We're led by God. And if we can't all agree on something, then obviously we're not all listening because God isn't going to tell you one thing and you another. But once we all agree on it because God is giving us all the same information, the same direction, then we know that it's him leading us. They never invited me back to that meeting and or that group. That guy who actually brought up the problem, he went and started his own Bible college because he was the guy that bought the school on PayPal or on the Internet for a buck. And, and so um, it was eBay. And so, you know, so it, it fell apart, but... The other guys all agreed on what they were going to do. And the, every year, they have 300 to 500 kids coming into the town. And those kids go and paint the people's houses, take care of their yards, and fix up the people that are still living there. They go and they do all these acts of kindness and, and help uh, in the community. And the community's learning about Jesus by these kids that are out there doing something. But they had to give it to God to do that. It, it was God's plan originally, and if it was then taken over by man, all they were going to do was run it into the ground. That Bible college was never successful, but the ministry reaching out to the kids was amazingly successful and continues to be to this day. So we see that Israel was not listening to God very well. So they asked for a judge. They, they asked for judges. They wanted someone to be over them. So God gave them judges. And afterward, they asked for a king. They, they weren't satisfied with judges. None of the other nations had judges. You know, 
so I, we want a king, just like all of the other. You know what the difference is? The other nations had false gods. They didn't have one true God that actually led them through the wilderness for 40 years, vacated a, a land that was occupied by, you know, people that were bigger than them, but God eradicated them and then allowed them to move into the land. They saw all these things. How come they were that out of touch with things? In Judges 21-25, we read in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I have the feeling we're at the same place today. There is no king, and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And believe me, there are people vying for the position of king. There are people that are trying to line themselves up uh, to get in that position, and people will listen to man more than they will listen to God. And afterward, they asked for a king, and so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. So Saul, he was head and shoulders above all of the other Israelites. He was a good-looking man. He was one that you would look at and say, oh, that guy's the king. He's a good-looking guy. He's big. He's burly. He was hiding when God called him to become king. He was hiding. They had to find him and, and pull him by the ear to have him take the position of being king. And for, so for 40 years, but do you remember what he did during those 40 years? At first he was doing fine, and then he started doing things on his own. Oh, Samuel isn't here. Let's go, you know, sacrifice, because Samuel was supposed to be here. He's late. Let's just go on without him. You know, and we need to recognize that God has a different timeline than we do. And so sometimes we pray about things and we expect God to answer before our timeline is passed. But the most important thing is his timeline because maybe he wants our timeline to run out so we can trust in him. And so once they got rid of Saul, when he had removed him and raised up for them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So David was a man after, wouldn't you love to hear that God calls your name and says, this is a man, this is a woman after my own heart. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, David uh, was perfect. He wasn't. He messed up. He did stupid things. Remember, he had an affair with a woman. He took her, had adultery with her, had a child with her, had her husband killed 
And God knew that before he called him to be king. God knew what was going to happen. It wasn't like, oh, David, what did you do? He, he knew that David was going to, but he knew his heart. And when David cried out to the Lord, he said, I have sinned against you and you only. You see, sometimes we sin against other people and we think we have to make that right and we should. I'm not saying don't, but sometimes we think that that's the end of it. The end of it is when you make it right with God. And, you know, please go to that person and make it right with them, but then also make sure that you go to God and make it right with him. David did that, and that's why he was a man after God's own heart. From this man's seed, David, according to the promise God raised up for Israel, a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And so, here, David was the precursor to Jesus. He was the one, and John was going to come first to point to the fact that Jesus was coming, which he did. But people focus so much on John's ministry, more on John's ministry sometimes, than who he was focused on. And when I say people, I'm talking about the Jews back then. Oh yeah, they believed that he was a prophet and... You know, they agreed with repentance. But when Jesus came and he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they didn't believe. You know, all of a sudden, he was a heretic. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. He's saying that the person that's coming is going to be so great when they mention, you hear that term, sandal, I'm not worthy to loose. The Pharisees, the uh, teachers, the rulers, the scribes, they had mentors, they had um, people that would follow them and they would mentor them, disciples, okay? They were students, and they would follow them. And the students were required to do whatever the teacher told them to do. So if the teacher said, okay, um, go, you know, uh, clean out the stall of my horse, they were required to go do that. But loosing the sandals of that teacher, that would be considered stepping over the line. You've gone too far. That's where uh, the student would be able to say, hold on, you've gone too far there. And they would be able to, you know, reject that order. But most everything else they would. So when John was saying this, he was saying this in a way to, uh, to, specify he wasn't worthy to loose the sandal of Jesus. 
he said, that's how low I am. Uh, you know, I'm not even worthy to do that. And, you know, sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. Sometimes we see ourselves as, you know, um, we, we can be going in there, you know, shining his shoes and, and you know, taking care of his own, taking care of his... No, we're not really even worthy to be in his presence because Jesus is God. And we have sin and God can't be in the presence of sin. That's why he sent Jesus to take care of that problem. So... Men and brethren, as Paul continues, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Once again, he's showing that these are two separate groups, the family of Abraham and those who fear God, Gentiles that are not the family of Abraham. To you, the word of this salvation has been sent. He just told them that the same salvation was available to both of these groups. It wasn't exclusive to the Jews who thought that they had the exclusive rights to salvation through their religious system. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And so he calls them out. He says, you Jews knew because of the voice of the prophets, because of the prophecies that were given to you about the Messiah that was coming, notice that he jumped from David to Jesus. There was all kinds of... Do you know that there's a huge study that I've done in the past on Nehemiah and, um, and then Daniel, the 70-week prophecy of Daniel that talks about um, the rebuilding of... Uh, the temple, rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem when the order went out by Nebuchadnezzar to build them. And then there was a certain period of time, 490 years from them, seven, 77, 70 weeks of years, 490 years. So that prophecy told from the time of the rebuilding of the wall, from the time of that the Messiah entered into Jerusalem, there was going to be 483 years. And then for the last seven years, he was going to be cut off and the seven years was going to take place sometime in the future. But Paul didn't get into that. Paul didn't sit there arguing with them about the fact that they knew when the Messiah would come based on the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of Nehemiah. It's all spelled out, but he didn't get into it. There are a lot of people out there on the internet that want to argue 
little details of of the rapture and and all of these other things that they think are more important calvinism and armenianism and so on and so forth and and they want to get into arguments about these things paul doesn't get into an argument he just says look you knew that the messiah was going to come from the line of david you knew that that was going to happen and so here, Jesus was born, and that's who it is. And John confirmed it. John the Baptist said, hey, the one who's coming is greater than me. He's the one. This Jesus is the one um, that came. But you didn't listen. And you condemned him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And he gave the picture to them. This was done. He was taken down. How come he used the term tree? Well, it Basically, the cross was made out of a tree. It was very rough, raw wood, and, and the term crust is tree. It's, it's made what it was made out of. But he was referring back to Deuteronomy, where we read that if someone is hung on a tree, they are cursed by God. And so he was hung on a tree to receive the curse that we deserved. He took that curse upon himself so that we wouldn't have to experience that curse. And then they took him down and put him in the tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. I love that. But God. It seemed like everything was over, right? He went to the cross, he went to the tomb, but God. I love that. Because God's the same God today. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so when you get into those situations, but God. He is still the same God that's there watching over your situation able to help you through the situation. He's able to do it. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise that was made to the Father. So the promise that was made that the Messiah was coming was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The prophets said that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to die, and that he was going to raise again on the third day. And he's saying all of that happened. It was fulfilled, and that's the good news. He said, we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled for us their children in that he raised up Jesus 
as it also was written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so he's using the Old Testament to point to the truth of the New Testament and the truth of Jesus being the Messiah and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also said in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. What kind of corruption are we talking about? Well, when you go into the grave, your body begins to decay and you become ash again. You, you become dirt again. See, Adam was created from the dirt and then God breathed into him. And so if you remove the moisture from our bodies and then just let us lay there, we'll, we'll decay back into dirt. So we're just dirt clods. Just add water and God's breath. And poof. And we think we're so great. But, you know, it, it's not us. It's because of God. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So he's trying to say, look, you're thinking of David being the eternal king, you're wrong because his body is, he saw corruption. His body is now in the grave. It's dead. It's just a bunch of bones. But Jesus didn't see corruption because he was only dead three days. His body didn't even have time to corrupt. And he came back to life. I don't think his body could have corrupted anyway, but he came back to life and he was seen, uh, Paul said in, in another um, book that he was seen by over 500 people at one time. So this wasn't something where the 11 guys that hung out with him, you know, wrote some books about him and, and you know, it, it's all fake. It's not. It's all real. And hundreds of people wrote about what they saw or told stories of what they didn't really write. A lot of them didn't even know how to write. And they told stories and the historians knew the stories. They had the recordings of Jesus and what happened when he went to the cross and was raised from the dead and that they have all of these stories. They know them and they're just historians. They weren't Christians. They were historians. And they kept all of these records. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That's our greatest hope. Forgiveness of sins. You know, you don't have to teach anyone to sin. You know, this isn't... At, at two years old... You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to sin. 
you know, it, it was just something they were born with. They know exactly how to sin. And they know they're sinning. They know they're doing something wrong. Now, so when we throw that word around, it just is like, it's like a religious word. Oh, sin. When you say sin, you, you automatically think of, you know, oh, I'm back in church. Oh, this is a, uh, a sin means I've offended, you know, God or the pastor. Okay, you can offend me all you want. We're all sinners in need of a savior. But it's an offense to God. It's sin merely means you've missed the mark. You haven't achieved perfection. Now, some of you are getting close. You know, uh, if you go into a coma, I believe you achieve the perfect uh, level of perfection we can achieve. We're not doing anything wrong. You know, oh, he was in a coma three days. Uh, you know, oh man, that's the best he's ever had it, you know, he, he, you know, as soon as he came out of the coma, it was like, get me some, you know, he's, uh, you know, but beyond that, we have a struggle trying to meet God's standard. We can't do it. We can't meet his standards because his level of, of expectation is perfection. But he came so that we can have forgiveness of sin. So that we don't have to try to achieve perfection. He gives it to us freely. And by him, everyone, this is how he does it, who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Sin being forgiven cleanses all of this from the past, from here, back. It's all, all of our sin is forgiven. Justified means that everything from now on is also forgiven. We're justified. We, it's just as if we didn't do it. And we need both. We don't just need forgiveness of sin. We need justification. We need to have that cleansing going forward too because I know I'm going to be driving soon and, and I need to have forgiveness of that. And the law of Moses can't do it. People, Christians, still try to live by the law of Moses and believe that living by that law is going to get them into heaven. Well, I'm a good person. I don't do these things. I follow these laws. So I'm good to go. I'm going to get into heaven. I've had people tell me that. And I, I want to point, I do point this. And they're like, you don't understand. I don't understand. I, I understand really well because I, you know, can't keep any law, you know, no matter what it is. If, if the law says 65 on the freeway, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something. I, I do keep that law until I actually get 
on the on-ramp and I'm, I'm on the freeway and then I'm in trouble because I'm doing 66. I will drive 66 and just as long as I know that I'm not doing 65. Someone told me to do, I'm doing 66. You know, I'm, I have freedom to do that. Don't you judge me. Don't judge me. I, I have freedom in that. So, you know, and, and I'm better at it now. Uh, I, I don't get caught. <laughs> Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Okay, now he's giving them a warning. This came from the prophets. So they know the prophets. They just read the prophets. They know the prophets. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I will... Uh, work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And that's what we're dealing with today. We are declaring the word of God and they're not listening because they don't want to hear it. It's too hard to hear that we're sinners, that we're corrupt, that we're evil. It's too hard to hear that. And so that's why people reject the gospel. And so when the Jews went out of the synagogues, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Folks, that's what I'm doing here. My whole desire is to see you continue in the grace of God. Uh, and I'm not persuading you by, you know, trying to trick you into anything. I'm just declaring the word of God. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking. So I, there's no way I can force anyone to do the right thing. Because if I can force you to do the right thing, someone else can force you out of it. Someone else can manipulate you and trick you into believing something else. So I don't want to be the one who's telling you what to do. What I really want is for the Holy Spirit to bless you when you're walking in the ways of the Lord. When God gives you a direction to go and you go there and you're blessed by it and say, oh, this is where God wants me. This is what God wants me to do. When you experience that, there's no going back. No one can come and convince you that there's something better because there isn't anything better. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and con contradicting and blaspheming blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Hold on. They, it says they were on board last week. Now, all of a sudden, the whole city comes out, and that means stinking Gentiles. That's what it means. There are Gentiles that are coming out, and they're hearing this good news, and now they're going to oppose Paul just because they want this to be an exclusive club. 
Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Awesome. The Gentiles all went for it. Hold on. What do you mean as many as had been appointed believed? That's Hold on. That's predestination? Is that what Paul is talking about? Yes, it is. He's talking about the fact that there are some that are pointed to eternal life. That doesn't sit well with everyone. We're not talking about Calvinism here in that God appoints some to heaven and some to hell. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that God knows who is appointed because of the decisions that they made. Here's how he knows. He knows everything. He doesn't live in our timeline. He knows what I'm going to do next. He knows what I'm going to eat this afternoon. Hopefully it's good. And I know that he knows. And I try to live my life in such a way that's pleasing to him, but not because of the fact that I feel like, oh, he's watching me. That's not how I live. It's because I love him and I want to live the best life I can so that people will recognize and see the Lord. See, you know that sinners can be saved. And I, I know some of you pray for me about my driving. And some of you say, you know, he mentions that, that he goes, how come he's not driving the speed limit? And, um, you know, because I still have some flesh that deals with that but I actually do drive much better on the freeway than you would imagine. If you saw me on the freeway, you would be saying, what's wrong with you? Get out of this lane and let me, let me go around. You know, I, I'm not really that person, but that's really who I was. I was uh, a bad driver. And God spoke to me and said, you know what? You're not setting a good example. My wife spoke to me and said, get that Calvary Chapel sticker off the car. And, <laughs> and you know, but I recognized it was just a bad example that I was setting. And so I, I did change many of my driving habits because I, I know it's just not a, a good example. Paul is the light that was set to the Gentiles. He is still shining to the Gentiles today. We have the word of God and we can still re 
excuse me, read what Paul was saying. And now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord and as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was beginning to spread throughout all the regions. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent woman and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This area, this region that they were in, when you read the book of Galatians, that's the actual area they were in. They were in Galatia. There was no city named Galatia. Galatia was the area that encompassed um, the, the Perga and Pamphylia and, and Antioch and Pisidia. That was all Galatia. So when you read Galatians, you will see that he's talking about those. He went up to Antioch in um, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, let's see. Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He was talking about going up to Antioch. Antioch was at 3,500 feet. Okay, so when he came into, uh, on the boat, into the, the shore, he was at sea level. They were having lots of problems with malaria at sea level. Uh, there was so much moisture, they were getting sick. And he went up to Antioch because it's much higher and uh, the air was thinner and he was able to fight the malaria up there. And so that's what we, Galatians, that when he wrote Galatians, you received me the way I was, sick, and you received me and uh, you blessed me, even in the condition uh, that I'm in. And so we see that Paul's life was reaching, he was trying to reach to the Jews and they didn't want to hear it because they were stuck in religiosity. They were stuck in theocracy. They were stuck in their own idea of who God is. That's a problem today where people are hung up on who they think God is, not who God says he is. He tells us who he is. But they would rather follow what people say rather than what God says. It's important to listen to the word of God, to, to understand what he is saying. Today we heard a lesson in history of the children of God who crucified his son when he came to save him. But in doing so, Jesus opened the door for all people. And we are those all people that he opened the door for. We're part of that group that Paul started addressing 2,000 years ago. And here we are gathered together because that message continues to ring true today. And so the good news is we can go out and deliver that message to someone without being a pastor. 
without getting a degree in theology. You don't have to go to cemetery, uh, seminary <laughs> to go and to learn these things. You can read the Bible and then share the good news with people. And uh, really, you don't have to get into the theology. He didn't get into theology. He shared events that took place. He said, these are the events. You have had events in your life where God has done some things in your life. Maybe gotten you through trying times, troubled times. Remember, we go through things so that we're able to go and bless others that are going through the same thing. I just heard about a house fire last night. Um, it here in Fountain Hills, there was a lightning strike and the house burned down. And um, fortunately, it was a winter home. And so the folks uh, didn't live there. They were back home, but the house was complete loss. It was completely gone. Uh, my first thought was, how can I reach out to them and share with them how God got me through that experience when our house burned down. That was my first thought. You know, how can I bless them? How can I be uh, of encouragement to them during this? Fortunately, they weren't there. They didn't, you know, experience it firsthand, but they're going to be experiencing some stuff, you know, going through it. So, uh, you know, I'm still going to try to reach out just to help them through it because it's just a, a mess of a nightmare with insurance and everything else they have to deal with. And, uh, you know, but that's, each of us have something in our lives where we can reach out to someone that is struggling, that's in need, uh, that uh, is going through a hard time and we've gone through it ourselves. That's, God gives us the ability to do that. So, even though it was a rough time in our lives, we can see how God used that to bless someone else, to encourage someone else. And, um, you know, I, I want to encourage you. That's when people say, how do you, how are you so sure? You know, uh, well, we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us with meekness because we shouldn't be slamming it down someone's throat, uh, but because God is the one that did the work in us. So we should be able to share that hope with someone else, and then we can tell them, hey, it's because our daddy loves us, you know, and he loves you too. He's your daddy too if you want him to be. He'll adopt you. And, uh, and that's the good news. Amen. Amen. 